Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely home until at least Monday. Good to be back at Edmonton. I had a great time out in Arizona. Low tide, the Mullet Arena was breathtaking. So, do you do you help Kennedy or do you hinder Kennedy? I don't help anyone here. Um, <laughs> I hinder the entire process. I I love that you're honest. That I do love about you. Um, did you get? Did you really have to check your feet and your your shoes like in uh, oversized luggage? No, but I do demand that whoever's in the aisle seats has to give me the aisle seat because I don't really fit anywhere else. I believe that is probably true. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, do you like the up or down on the lines? Fogel on the top line with McDavid and Hyman. Nuge with Drysaddle and Kane and McLeod between two slower gents, uh, Yanmark and Perry. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, the only, the only change I would have probably made is swapping Holloway and Yanmark. And I mean, granted, that's creating a fourth line that can you know not skate all that well. But I like giving Holloway a chance with some legitimate skill in McLeod and Perry. And I don't love Yanmark as a fit on that line. But I do. What I do really like is keeping Fogel up with McDavid and Hyman. He had a really good game. I think you got to reward that. So I see no problem keeping Fogel up there. And hey, who knows? Maybe if he has a good couple of weeks here, it kind of changes how you look at this lineup ahead of the deadline. That's exactly what my next question was. If he plays well there, does it does it change the the deadline scenario for Ken Holland? Maybe he does go get that right-handed defenseman. Yeah, like the way I'm kind of looking at this deadline is, and you know, the Oilers asset pool and also their cap space, because they are still tight against the cap, I think they can make an A move, a B move, and a C move, right? And maybe if Fogel plays really well up there in this top six hums and Corey Perry and Ryan McLeod are a productive duo in the bottom six. Like maybe you all of a sudden don't feel the need to make forward your A move. Maybe that suddenly does shift back to the blue line and your B and C moves are adding to third and fourth line forward. So you round out the depth and you fill a hole on the blue line. I really do think that there is still a lot left to be decided with this lineup in the next couple of weeks and how Fogel performs next to 97 absolutely will have an impact on that. So I, I'm starting to warm up to the idea of, Maybe Tanev is your big move and not Gensel. Interesting. Um, Bechnevich is out there, and there's a rumor that it's two first-rounders plus. Is it worth it for the Oilers to go after Bechnevich? They can't afford it is the problem. Like When you're talking about the rental market, it's pretty easy to go to a team like Pittsburgh and say, hey, you're going to keep half, and we're going to give a fourth-rounder to whoever, and they're going to keep half, and then we're going to get this guy. But you can't really do that as easily when there's a year left on the guy's deal. I don't think St. Louis is going to want to keep 50% of that contract for another year unless you're paying out the nose, and they already want you to pay out the nose for the player to begin with. So I just don't see it as being a realistic option for the Oilers because of how high Buchnevich's cap it is. He would be an awesome fit. I think he is a tremendously underrated player in the NHL, but I just don't see it happening. Tyler, you're Amchuk, our guest from Daily Faceoff on Sports 1440 in the lowdown with low tide. Okay, let's say Holland trades for a defenseman and a forward, and two players have to either get sent down or be traded away. Right now, based on what the roster is, and let's say Fogel ends up being kept and they go get a fourth-line center, who are your two players that you would move either out or down to Bakersfield? Well, down to Bakersfield, I think it Yanmark makes the most sense because he's the highest cap hit, right? I'm pretty confident he would go through waivers. I don't think anyone would step up and claim him, and then you save a million bucks against the cap. So 
that would make a lot of sense. Also, if they have the wiggle room, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just Gagne going down to the farm for a couple of weeks. On the blue line is where it gets interesting because if you get Tanev or you get Carrier or anyone else who you might view as an upgrade on the right side, then it's Cece going out the door. You need to find a taker for him somewhere. And it'd be interesting if he's just thrown into a deal or if he's moved in a separate deal. If you don't get that significant piece on the right side, then I think you need to look at the left side and swapping Brett Kulak for Philip Broberg in your lineup and moving on from Kulak in order to save some money. The only thing that concerns me there is Kulak's been pretty decent in the last couple of playoffs, and I really don't want to see the Oilers lose a layer of depth. They need to add another defenseman, not lose one right now. So I'm nervous about sacrificing anything from the blue line. You know what? I agree totally with you. I think if you can upgrade CC, then you do it. But if you can't, then, then, you know, Kulak is a guy you trade out if you have to. But I'd like to see another way around it because, you know, he's played very well in the last two playoffs too, right? Like he's, he, his resume is pretty strong postseason. And he skates well. Like when you have a team like Vegas who's just rolling four fast lines at you time and time again, like I kind of – and I know Broberg also skates very well. This isn't any sort of a comment on Broberg. This is a comment on needing depth and needing seven or eight defensemen most of the time to get through a playoff series. Like, I know the Oilers have been remarkably healthy on their blue line, but that's just not going to happen every year. They need to be prepared in case they run into a rash of injuries, and moving Brett Kulak just to use that cap space on the forward group doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Do you think... Somebody asked me this, and I thought, I'll ask you, so I've saved it. I got, somebody asked me on Monday, is this the closest they've been to Stanley, or do you think a year ago or two years ago they were closer than they are now? Man, that's a really good question. I think, well, the problem is right now, like their lineup is more or less the same as it was last year when they were going on their run, like, Nick Bukestad is obviously gone, but aside from that, it's largely the same team. So, I mean, you have Stuart Skinner without, uh, you know, real strong backup option, even though I love Picker. That's the same as a year ago. Yeah, I would say this lineup is the closest they are. Actually, no, I'll say right now, maybe not, but after the deadline, they'll be the best team they've had in the Connor McDavid era because I do anticipate one or two decent acquisitions. Okay, and this is the question I thought of after I got asked that question, and I want your answer, even if you have to take some a minute to think about it. Are you more confident in the goaltending tandem now than you were in Mike Smith and our friend Koskinen? Wow. Am I more? Oh, man. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I I really do think, like, I mean, they when Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner each fall apart, boy, is it ever ugly. But it's in totally different ways. Like, Stuart Skinner will just let in a couple of wrist shots from the outside that you're like, how how does that get past him? He's usually so sound and whatever. When Mike Smith falls apart, he's flailing around, (laughs) flipping his pads, turning pucks over behind the net like it's an eight-car pileup. When Stuart Skinner lets one in, it leaves you just being like, how how did that one get through? So I I think in a way they're similar because at their high end, they're so damn good. And at their low end, it's just like, what are we doing here? In terms of the backup, uh, Koskinen, I I was maybe a hair more confident in, but we're splitting hairs at that point. So I'll say it's on par, the duo they have. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I... I didn't really – I thought of the question, and then I thought, I'm not answering this. I'll give it to Uremchuk. Uh, the, the, 
the deadline, I've never been like, I don't like to careen. I sort of decide on something and I say, this is what they need. And I stick with that. But I'll tell you, Todd, I've never seen a year like this where, where even now I'm like, okay, the goaltending's fine, but a flurry became available. How, how fluid do you think Ken Holland's going to be here? If somebody, if somebody in goal just makes themselves available suddenly, do you think that sort of that die is cast that it's settled law now that they're going in with Skinner and Pickard? You know, we are, I was joking about this with some people down in Arizona and, and there's a lot of like, well, who can you possibly trust in the playoffs? And it's kind of like, you know, Jack Campbell has really good playoff numbers in his career. I know we don't really <laughs> want to think about that, but he was really damn good for you in every relief appearance last year. And with Toronto the year before that, he was really damn good for them, and he outdueled Vasilevsky. So maybe it's not like the most terrible thing in the world, but I sound real dirty saying that. So I don't know. Like, let's look at it this way. Let's say P- Kyle Dubas calls you up from Pittsburgh hour until the deadline, and he says, hey, I'm just looking to get what I can. Give me your fourth next year, and uh, I'll give you Nadelkovich. But then Washington calls and says, hey, we'll give you uh, Joel Edmondson at 50% retained for that for a fourth-round pick. Like, well, he's dirt cheap. You need defensive depth. What's more useful for the Oilers, getting a second-slash-third goalie for that fourth-round pick or adding a layer of depth on the blue line and improving who your seventh defenseman is? Not that I'm a big Joel Edmondson guy. He's not the player he was even two years ago. But what's the better use of your fourth-round pick, yeah. getting someone who's going to be a black ace or getting someone who you're probably going to need three or four times in the first couple rounds of the playoffs, if we're being honest? Again, injuries happen to blue lines all the time in the playoffs. So, I don't know. There's just still that part of me that goes, get more depth, get a better fourth line center, upgrade the seven D spot, do things like that. Cause I mean, come on. What are the odds Alex Nadelkovich catches fire for you? Cause you need him desperately in the final three games of the playoff series and compare those odds to Pickard and Campbell. I just, goalies are weird, man. What, what if, what if, what if injury and poor play dictates that Jack Campbell starts game seven of the Stanley Cup final against Toronto. Oh, see, but that's the beauty of it. You know he'd have a shutout because Leafs <laughs> fans are more cursed than us. That would be beautiful. You're probably right. I, I, I am just absolutely on to the idea of the Leafs and the Oilers meeting in the final. It has to happen. It just has to. Did you see what, what t- Toronto did to Vegas last night? I mean, Aiden Hill is... Uh, tier one A1 goalie every time he plays against the Oilers. And then he just seems to only have stinkers against other teams. But Toronto, that Morgan Riley thing seemed to galvanize them. Yeah, it did. They were, and, and Willie, Willie Lagason is out there playing, man. I love this stuff. And while they're at it, why not Martin Marinson? They need D-men. Damn right. Mark Pouliot's still playing. All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too, Ted. All right. There you go. Todd Gramchuk from Daily Faceoff. Does 